Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been homesick before? I remember when I was a kid, my parents sent me to summer camp and I would cry myself to sleep. I would weep because I just missed my family so much. Uh, Last night after dinner, our family was doing family worship and we took time to pray for you and for our church. And I began to get choked up because I'm homesick. I'm homesick for you. I'm homesick for our gatherings. I miss being together as a faith family. And while I am so grateful for technology, for us to be able to engage with one another, it's not the same as being in the room together. There's, there's something about being together where you can literally hug one another. You can't hug a camera. You can't hug a computer screen. You could, but that'd be really awkward. But I just want you to know, I, just, I, I love you so much and I miss you so much. You know, Paul addresses this in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 11, in which he tells the church how much he misses them. He says, For I want very much to see you, so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, so that we may mutually be encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. There's a sense in which I can't wait until I can wrap my arms around you and you can encourage me in my faith and I can encourage you in your faith. And until that day comes, uh, we will wait expectantly. But you see this homesickness that God has put in my heart and this longing to gather that the Lord has put in your heart is not just a longing for our gathering in here, but it's an even greater gathering. There is a homesickness for our home in heaven, that longing to be with Christ And Westwood, if I can encourage you, we are one day closer. We are one day closer to us being able to gather together in this room again as a faith family. And even more so, we're one day closer to that great and glorious day when we gather with the church throughout the ages and we sing and we shout and we celebrate around the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. That day's coming and I long for it and I can't wait for it. Our staff has already been talking. Okay, when we have that day back, when we're first Sunday back, y'all, we're going to party. I don't know when it's going to be. It can't be soon enough, but I can't wait to celebrate Jesus with you. It's going to be a great day indeed. You know, this is a peculiar time now we're in in which many people are asking a lot of questions. Questions like, when is the economy going to bounce back? Am I going to have my job next month? And some of you moms are even asking, who in the world is going to educate my kids? You know, what's interesting though, is that not only are many of us asking some really big questions like that, there are even bigger questions that the world is asking right now. They may not be saying it out loud, but they're indeed thinking it. Like, what's the meaning of life? What's the purpose behind all of this? Is there a reason that I continue living? You see, these trials are opportunities to see a fresh perspective. And as people are asking really big questions, the beauty of our God is he is not scared of big questions. 
He is big, he is strong, he is sovereign, he is good, and he is never terrified or afraid of big questions from people. And the good news is God gives us answers in his word on how we can respond to these big questions. And when we get to the book of Ecclesiastes, we see Solomon's response to some very big questions. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. As a faith family, we're going through a sermon series called Messages of Hope, in which in this time of transition, in which we are looking towards the future of what is next for us, the question is, is there hope for us moving forward? And the good news of the gospel is, yes, absolutely there is. And as your pastor, I just want to continually point you to trust Jesus. He is the anchor of your soul. He is your mainstay. He is the one who will never leave you and he will never forsake you. Whether your situation is that you're single or married, children or no children, employed or unemployed, grandchildren or no grandchildren, Jesus is still with you and Jesus is still for you and you have nothing to be afraid of because Jesus is with you to the very end. In the book of Ecclesiastes, we come across the writings of King Solomon. We read in verse one, the teachers, I'm sorry, excuse me, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Solomon is the son of David. And he is the chosen king of Israel after David's death. Now, if you remember back with me to 1 Kings chapter three, when Solomon had become king and he had a dream, the Lord appeared to him and said, ask whatever you want, it's yours. And instead of asking for riches, instead of asking for long life, instead of asking for the death of his enemies, Solomon asked for one thing, wisdom. He sought the Lord and asked for a wise and discerning heart. And since Solomon asked the Lord for wisdom, not only did God give him wisdom and a discerning heart, but God also provided him extreme wealth and extreme resources beyond our wildest imaginations or dreams. What's interesting is if you go to uh, 1 Kings uh, chapter 3, um, chapter 4, verse 32, Solomon spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. And so you get to the book of Ecclesiastes and what you have is an end of life manifesto. What we see here is Solomon looking back on his life, he is considering all of the decisions and the choices that he has made. And so he takes time to write this book to his son, to the people of Israel, and even to you and I today to teach us how we are to live life backwards. In essence, with the reality that death is coming for us all, If you and I were to fast forward to that moment before we took our last breath and we look backwards, how would we live right now moving forward? That's part of the point of what Solomon's calling us to, to live with the end in mind. And in this book, he addresses what life is like when God is the center of your heart and life, but he also addresses what life is like when God is not in the center of your heart and life. The book of Ecclesiastes is quite honestly, ferociously negative. 
sometimes even nihilistic at times. And yet the book offers an honest assessment of life that is empty of meaning. Ultimately, y'all, a meaningful life is not found in the things of this world, but rather in the king of this world. Notice how Solomon describes life when the Lord is not central. I want you to see first, number one, that life is empty without Jesus. Life is empty without Jesus. Verse two, absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility. Everything is futile. Solomon's conclusion is that when God is not central in your heart and in your life, everything is futile. It's meaningless. That word for futile, it describes something that's temporary, something that's passing, something here today and gone tomorrow. Some of your translations may say that it's meaningless or useless. The King James uses the word vanity of vanities, says the preacher. It's vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Solomon is painting a realistic picture of what life in this world is like when it is void of God. In fact, the opening sentence of verse two, this is the thesis for the rest of the book. That word futility, it shows up 35 times in this book. And this teacher, this preacher, verse two, it's a reference to Solomon. He is preaching to his congregation. He is preaching to Israel. And he is indeed even preaching to us today. Now this is Solomon, a wise, rich, successful king in Israel until he was not satisfied with what he had. Here's a guy who literally had it all. But when the Lord was not central in his heart and in his life, he found that the high life is empty. If you go on in chapter one, you see that he pursued wisdom, but that didn't satisfy. In chapter two, he pursues pleasure and laughter. He built homes. He had gardens, vineyards, and parks. He possessed servants, large herds of livestock. He amassed silver and gold and the best entertainment that money could buy. He goes on to say in chapter two, verse 10, all that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure. When I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile and a pursuit of the wind. There is nothing to be gained under the sun. He goes on throughout these 12 chapters describing the emptiness of power, the loneliness of wealth, and the ultimate reality of death. You see, unlimited wealth wasn't enough. A vast kingdom, it wasn't enough. Thousands of livestock, acres upon acres of land, it wasn't enough. Having one beautiful wife, it wasn't enough. According to 1 Kings 11, Solomon had 700 wives. And when that wasn't enough, he got 300 concubines. So Solomon had a thousand women to satisfy his lust, but they still weren't enough. See, sadly, these women ultimately would turn his heart away from the Lord. See, if you continually look for things to satisfy you other than the Lord, you're gonna come to the conclusion of verse two. Everything is meaningless. Why should I go on? This is is futile. 
You see, here's a man who had access to all of the wine and the women and the song that he could ever dream of. He had it all, and yet he wasn't satisfied. You see, these women turned his heart away from the Lord. In 1 Kings eleven four, it says, when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away to follow other gods. He was not wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord his God. Here is a guy with unlimited resources, success, power, land, money, luxury, women, but it wasn't enough. Like the lottery winner who takes home millions and is bankrupt within a year. Solomon had it all, but it wasn't enough. Why? Because we were not made to find our satisfaction in the things of this world. You see, money and sex and power and popularity, they are terrible gods. You see, without Jesus, the human heart is singing the words of the Rolling Stones. I can't get no satisfaction. The human heart's never happy. It's never satisfied. Never content, always wanting more. Some of you are thinking, if I could just get my license, then I would be good. If I could just get into college, then I'll be fine. If I could just marry the right person, then everything is going to be fine. If I could just have kids, then I will be satisfied. If I could just kids that are actually obedient, then I'll be okay. If I could just get that promotion, if I could just get to that point where I make X number of dollars, then finally I'll be satisfied. But ultimately, you're not. Because even once someone accomplishes and has possession of all of those things, not satisfied. It's not enough. Continually looking for more. Here is the wealthiest and the wisest man who ever lived saying, verse two, absolute meaningless. It's pointless. This, this is all meaningless. Fourth century North African theologian, St. Augustine wrote in his autobiography, Confessions, he said this, because you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. Here is a man who realized that the human heart is restless. It's not satisfied until ultimately we look to the Lord. And that is when we find rest for our souls. You see, you were made by God. You were made for God so that you might find your happiness in God. You see, the addict continually returns to that drug and to alcohol looking for perfect and lasting high, but it's futile. For some, they're pursuing after pornography, hoping that that look, that glance, that study would lead to a perfect and lasting pleasure, but it's futile. For some of you, your Amazon cart is continuously full because you're looking for that, that lasting, that perfect rush of having possessions and stuff, but it's futile. Some of you may be secretly longing for better vacations, a bigger house, nicer cars, better clothes, more followers on Instagram. It's futile. You see, Jesus alone is the one who satisfies your soul. 
He is the one who alone can make you complete. He tells us this in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, I came that they may have life and have it in abundance. Jesus came so that in him and him alone, you can have life. As you are seeking after all of these things, Jesus is saying, look to me and you will seek no more. You see, every human pursuit apart from Jesus Christ is empty. When you have Jesus who is central in your heart and in your life, you find what you were made for. You start understanding the world around you and you see it in light as gifts given to you by the ultimate giver and your heart is satisfied in him. If today you're looking for life, if you're looking for purpose, if you're looking for meaning, you will not find it anywhere in this world except Jesus Christ. When you surrender your life to Jesus, when you believe the gospel, you say, God, here is my heart, here is my life. It's then that you will say, he alone is enough. You see, when you get to the point where you say, Jesus is all that I have, you will find that Jesus alone is enough. And what we see here in verse two is Solomon is pursuing after all of these worldly things. He's had it all. And he's come to the conclusion, without God being central in his heart and in his life, it's all meaningless. The second truth I want you to see here in the text is that life is pointless without Jesus. Life is pointless without Jesus. Solomon asks a rhetorical question, verse three. What does a person gain for all of his efforts that he labors at under the sun? And the answer is nothing. Nothing is gained from all of our activity. And so to prove it, he uses poetry in verses four through 11. Generations come, generations go, verse four. And then you can see this reality in the cycle of nature. Verse five, the sun rises, the sun sets and returns to the place where it rises. Verse six, the wind goes south to north, turning and turning. Verse seven, water flows from streams out to the sea and then right back into the streams again. The job is never done. Everything is futile. It's all pointless. It's trapped in a meaningless cycle that accomplishes nothing. I hate laundry. When Christy and I first started our premarital counseling, our counselors encouraged us to divvy up household chores. And as someone who despises, who hates, loathes laundry, Christy was glad to take over that. Now she was one who does not enjoy dishes. And I, by chance, really enjoy dishes. Don't know why, but it's something I, it's a strength of mine. And so I, I seek to do my best of taking care of the dishes and making sure we keep that dishwasher rocking and rolling. But you see, in a household where you have seven people, it's an act of futility. Okay. What has been will be again. There are times I will see a sink full of dishes and I'm like, what is the point? It's just gonna happen again. And the same thing is true for Christy with the laundry. And so it's just a continuous cycle. It's always there. And so when I take opportunities to help her with the laundry, if that's not loving your wife as Christ loves the church, I don't know what is. 
But you see, it's, it's constant. And so from Solomon's perspective, without God, without Christ, this is all pointless. It's just a continuous cycle of nothingness. You experience this. Every month you go to your mailbox and there are those bills once again. Every week your grass grows and you have to cut it again. Every day you open your inbox and there are more emails to respond to. It feels like a constant cycle of nothingness. You see, outside of Jesus, life is pointless. It's just a continuous path of nothingness is what Solomon is driving home here. Like, what's the point? All of this is, look at verse eight, wearisome. It's exhausting. It's like tires that are just spinning in the mud. They're not going anywhere. He then gives three behaviors to, to drive home what it means, how things continuously go without ever being satisfied. The three cycles of nature that we saw in verses four, five, six, and seven, we see here where he contends that verse eight, we can never say enough, we can never see enough, and we can never hear enough. There's always more words to be said. There's always more uh, things to be seen. There's always more things to hear. You see, when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, not only did it bring division between God and man, not only did it bring death and destruction and disease, but a component of the fall is that as people, we lose sight of purpose and meaning for why we exist. How quickly we forget. One of the things that the Lord reminds us of throughout the Old Testament, he commands his people, remember, remember, remember. You see, one of the reasons why your soul needs to gather here every week is because you forget, and I forget. We forget God's faithfulness in the past. The reason we need to take time to study God's word together every week is to remind ourselves week after week after week, God has been faithful because we have a tent to have spiritual amnesia. We forget when God has been faithful in the past and we can even get into the point in which we start wondering, is God gonna come through even now? What is my purpose? What is my meaning? Why am I here? Solomon is driving home the point. If Jesus is not central in your heart and in your life, everything is pointless. And that's what he's driving home here in the text. You may even be experiencing this as every day you wake up and you go to work, you go to the factory, you go to school, you go to the office, you manage your home. And day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, it feels like it's the same thing over and over again. It feels pointless. And what we see here from Solomon's perspective is that outside of Jesus, it certainly is. But when you trust in Christ and you make Jesus central in your heart and life, it is from him and through him that you discover purpose and meaning for your life. We see here that Solomon adds even more struggle to this pointlessness. He makes the argument that you are not going to be remembered. 
See, even those who are popular and famous today, (laughs) they think they're going to be remembered forever. They're not. Look at verse 11. Solomon says, there is no remembrance of those who came before. And of those who will come after, there will be no remembrance of those who follow them. Now, some of you are sitting here thinking, I I don't know if that's true. I'll be remembered. Okay, we're going to give you a quick quiz. No using Google, even though I can't see you right now. God is watching. Okay, question, question one. Who won the Heisman in 1946? Who won Super Bowl VIII? Who won Homecoming Queen at your high school 11 years ago? You see, what seems like a big deal in the moment eventually gets forgotten. And as a believer, you need to be okay with that. That we need to agree with Count Zinzendorf, a great theologian in which he said, preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. We're temporary. Now, as followers of Jesus, when he is central in your heart and your life, you're okay with that. Jesus is enough because we're not living for the fame of our name. We're living for the fame of his name. And what we see in the text is what happens when Jesus is not the one who is central over all. And then later in chapter eight, Solomon brings home the whole point and that death is the great equalizer. No one can escape its grasp unless there is another. You see, There was one who came who defeated death. There is one who came who will be remembered forever. There is one whose name will be confessed. There is one who provides satisfaction for all who believe. There is one who provides purpose for our lives. One who will one day reward all of his people for their faithfulness. And it's driving us to number three. Emptiness and pointlessness drive us to Jesus. At the end of the book, in chapter 12, Solomon gives the answer for how to find meaning in this life. Indeed, this entire book does not make sense without the conclusion. You've got to have it. Solomon ends like he begins in chapter one, verse two. He says again in chapter 12, verse eight, absolute futility, everything is futile. He then says in verse nine, in essence, I've taught you truth accurately. Verse 10, I've given you a true portrait of how the world works. And like a rancher who pokes and prods his cattle where he wants them to go, Solomon is, verse 11, poking and prodding his people where he wants them to go. And yet ultimately, the Holy Spirit is the one who pokes and prods and is driving us to Jesus. He is the one who convicts us of sin and points us to Jesus, who is, verse 11, the one shepherd. You see, Ecclesiastes is pointing forward to a coming shepherd, a coming Messiah who will lead and who will rule his people and his kingdom with wisdom. You see, Jesus Christ is the infinitely wise, greater King Solomon, and he is the true son of David. He is the shepherd that we see in chapter 12, verse 11, who lays down his life for his sheep. See, Ecclesiastes is pointing you 
and pointing me to Jesus who alone provides meaning and purpose for life. Well, how do we get that? He summarizes it in verse 13. When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this, fear God and keep his commands because this is for all humanity. For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. At the end of the day, it all comes down to this. And it's your impact point. The meaning of life is discovered when you fear God and obey his commands. When you rightly see who God is, when you humble yourself before him, it is there that you begin to discover your purpose and meaning. And when you walk in obedience to his commands, it is there that you find purpose for how to move forward. But you see, outside of Christ, you can't do either. You must get low before the maker of all things. The New Testament tells us that the commands that we are to obey, we can't. You and I are unable in and of ourselves to keep God's law perfectly. But that's why God gave us Jesus. He kept the law perfectly for us. And he has made a way through his death and resurrection to provide us not only eternal life, but when we trust in him, he empowers us with the Holy Spirit to keep his commands and to fear the Lord. So as you're asking big questions, as you're wondering, what is the point? What is my purpose? The answer is ultimately found not inside of you, not in what this world has to say. The answer is found through the cross and the empty tomb. Jesus is why you can get up tomorrow morning and have purpose why you can sing with gusto, that you can be unafraid of anything that this world brings to you because you have the one who knows you and loves you and gave his life for you and rose again for you and is one day returning to rescue you and to bring you home to be with him forever. And on that day, all of our questions will be answered because we will have Jesus the ultimate answer to every question.